All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 443, and today we are talking about some of our favorite fiction of 2023. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Tears of hello. Hello, how are you? I'm okay, how are you? I am doing pretty well. I cannot believe this is the last um, All the Books episode of the year. And I don't normally do the like the best fiction. I think the last few years I've done best nonfiction. So I'm excited. Yeah, I decided to switch it up because I realized like, you know, I'm on every episode, but you know, the other co-hosts don't get to talk about those things sometimes. And so I thought I would switch it up this year and no one seemed to mind. So yeah, it's well, it's always fun to just talk about books. But I was like immediately like, oh, my gosh. Um, what are my favorite books of the year? What I, I don't know. Now I have to make a decision and that was hard. But, you know, all the things that we do in the name of loving books, it's fine. Yeah, it's totally fine. Let's see. What do we have going on? Um, it's winter in Maine, almost, basically. But we don't have any snow yet. But it's only 20 degrees out right now. So that's not great. <laughs> I went out to get the mail and I was like, ah! I, you know, I hadn't left the house today. So I was like, oh my goodness so cold it Um, doesn't feel like if there's no snow on the ground it should be below 20 because it's just like faking you out like you're like wait no what's going on um you and i had a a complaint session before we started recording about um money and cats basically (laughs) cats costing us so much money yeah (laughs) we love them but holy cow yeah Two of mine had to go to the emergency vet last week because apparently they were jealous that their brother got to go earlier in the year. So now we had the emergency vet trifecta in my house. (sighs) Congratulations to the three of them. Um, But they're all fine. They're fine. It was just like just stuff and it's all taken care of. So at least there's that. That's what I'm thankful for. Um, That's good. Yeah. They just like to make sure I'm paying attention every once in a while, even though like all I do is like stare at them and talk to them and sit with them when I'm not Mm -hmm. working. (laughs) Like they're basically our entire lives. But like, what if they want to leave the house for a little trip to the vet every now and then? They're like, I want to get out of the house today. I want to go on a little trip. Um, So today is episode 443 and the corresponding area code fits Eastern Maryland, which includes the Baltimore metropolitan area and the Eastern Shore. Shout out to our listener, Suzanne, who wrote in and said that was their area code. And what else? I'm trying to like, it's so pathetic. I can't even remember if I've been to Maryland. I'm like, have I driven through Maryland to go other places? Because we used to drive to Florida and to like New Jersey and stuff. I'm like, now I can't remember. Have I been to Maryland? Did I have to go through Maryland? I think I did. I must have. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been to Maryland. I know I've driven from Michigan to D.C., but I don't think that took me through Maryland. Yeah. So um, I'm sure it's a very lovely state. But yeah. it's one of the small ones. And so sometimes I forget about the small ones like Delaware, Rhode Island, Maryland. It's kind of like all in the same sort of you know, category of like tiny states that like I've never had a particular reason to go to. And so I'm like, have I driven through it or not? I don't know. I can't remember. Sorry to people who live there. I'm sure they're lovely. (laughs) (laughs) You should go to to Providence. It's amazing. I love that city. Um, My first husband and I used to go to concerts there all the time because 
it's only like an hour past Boston. So like a two hour drive to see, you know, an awesome band. They had these great uh, places in Providence. I don't know if any of them are still open, but we used to go to this place called the living room and see Ooh. concerts. And it was pretty cool. Um, and it, it, it didn't seem like that bad. I mean, you're already going to Boston and you'd have to sit in traffic. So it was really like a two or three hour drive to finally get to where you're going. So um, Providence is like a great amount of space away from us to just make like a little day trip or something. That it's really fun. cool. It's really cool there. Um, but yeah, I'm going to have to think about if I've been to Maryland before. It was like every time we went on a trip, they had changed like the roads because of construction. And he's like, no, take this exit and do this and go through here. It's like, where are we going? Anyway, um, I'm going to work that out on my own, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we are going to talk about our favorite fiction of the year. But before we do that, we are going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by William Morrow. I'll be dead in three months. Come tell my story. Imagine someone told you that. That's what Sebastian Trapp, a reclusive mystery novelist, told to his longtime correspondent, Nikki Hunter, an expert in detective fiction. So with only a few months left to live, Trapp invites Nikki to his spectacular San Francisco mansion to help draft his life story, living alongside his beautiful second wife, Diana, his wayward nephew, Freddie, and his protective daughter, Madeline. But soon, Nikki finds herself caught in an irresistible case of real-life detective fever. Make sure to pick up End of Story by New York Times bestselling author A.J. Finn for a book that gives Knives Out, that gives White Lotus. You'll like this if you like books by Lucy Foley, Nita Prose, and others. So make sure to pick it up, check it out, and thanks again to William Morrow for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of Anita De Monte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez. So this is one of my most anticipated books of the year. It follows two women of color who are in the art world, but who also kind of sit outside of it because of a lack of privilege. So the story is told from both of their perspectives and it moves back and forth through time. So in 1985, Anita DeMonte is a rising star in the art world and she's found dead in New York City, right? And then in 1998, Raquel, a third year art history student, becomes involved with an older, more privileged art student and finds herself rising up the social ranks as a result. But then she also stumbles upon Anita's story and she sees parallels between Anita's story and her own. So Anita DeMonte Laughs Last is a propulsive, witty examination of power. Make sure to pick it up. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez for sponsoring this episode. And now, one more time before the holidays are over, we want to remind you that TBR is bringing paperbacks, whether you or a reader you know, or love, or and love, I shouldn't say or love, <laughs> hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, or you're on a budget, or you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, you can now get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. The holidays are here, and we've got three different levels for gifting to suit every budget. So get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. All right. Um, my favorite novels of the year. Some of these are not going to be a surprise, <laughs> but I'm still going to talk about them anyway. So 
Get your TBR pencils ready. My first pick today is one that I feel like I don't know anyone has who has read this. And it was so good. It's called Ghost Girl Banana. Ghost Girl, comma, Banana by Wiz Wharton. This I really feel like this historical novel went under the radar and it's fantastic. It's told in two parts. Uh, in 1966, there's a young Chinese woman who is sent to London by her family. They want her to train to become a nurse and get a job and send them money. They're like not really nice to her about it. They're like, you don't really have a choice in this. And they send her to London. Instead, she becomes involved with a man and that changes her future. The other part is set in 1996 in London. And Lily is a young woman who has been without her mother since she was a very little girl. And she has an older sister, but her older sister doesn't really tell her anything about her mother. She doesn't really know anything about her. And then one day Lily gets this notification that she has been named in the will of a millionaire in China. But in order to claim Mm. what she's being given, she must travel to China to do it. And her sister is like, don't go. Like, I don't know what this is, but I don't think it's a good idea for you to go. But Lily doesn't have a lot going on. And she's really curious to see where her mom grew up. And she decides to go anyway. And while she's there, she learns about her mother and the things that her sister was keeping from her. It's an excellent, excellent historical novel about family, societal expectations, and identity. It is Ghost Girl, comma, Banana by Wiz Wharton. I've never heard of that book until it's just so this moment. Good. It sounds amazing. And like, you know, I mean, you you have to take reviews with a grain of salt, first of all. But when I was writing my notes up, I was like, I went and looked up the book. All the star reviews, like 4.5 stars or four stars on Goodreads. I'm like, how how has no one talked about this to me? Like, that's amazing. Yeah, no, I... Like I said, I hadn't even heard of it, um, but I'm excited because I now have a new library card to a new <gasps> library system with Interlibrary Loan, and I'm going to request this because it sounds amazing. Awesome. My work here is uh, done. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> Woo. Um, yeah, these um, these recording sessions are a lot easier on my wallet now that I have <laughs> access to Interlibrary Loan, so yay for that. Um, All right. My um, pick is probably one that won't surprise many people because everybody I feel like was talking about this book this summer. Um, It is Yellow Face by R.F. Quang. Um, To say that like it's like my favorite book is feels kind of weird because this book is like a train wreck. And I don't think you're supposed to necessarily like this book because it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. Um, But it was so well done. And um, as like a person who's definitely, you know, in the thick of it in the book world, like I, um, I I feel like I really got a lot of the satire and a lot of what the author was trying to do with this book. So it is um, about June. She is a white author. She is um, sort of friends with Athena. Um, they were close once. They're not really close now. Um, and Athena is like this literary rock star. She has um, multiple books that have sold very well. She's somewhat famous in the literary world. Um, they're hanging out together one night. Um, Athena has just finished her latest manuscript. Um, June is horribly jealous of her. Athena dies in this freak accident and um, June steals the manuscript um, from Athena. And then she starts reading it, realizes how brilliant it is, but also realizes that it could use some um, revision. And so she revises it and then passes it off as her own. Um, But what is 
sort of complicated is the fact that this is a manuscript about um, it's historical fiction and it's about um, Chinese people and um, she is white. And so pu publishing is like, yeah, that's not going to stop us. We'll publish it anyway. And so she publishes it under the name Juniper Song, which is kind of an ambiguous name. A lot of people assume that she is Chinese when she is not. Um, and then the rest of the book is just kind of about how June rockets to stardom, but doesn't want to give it up. But um, it's complicated because she is she's gotten famous off of this manuscript that she stole. Um, and there's so many other things that happen in this book. It's just, it's a banana pants book. Um, I inhaled this book because I was like, oh my gosh, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. Okay. You're going to do it. And then that was basically how I felt every single chapter. Um, but I think it is a really good book to read, especially if you are in the bookish world, um, because, uh, it skewers a lot of, um, issues that we have in publishing as well. So I don't know, I could keep going on and on about this book, but I thought it was excellent. It is Yellow Face by R.F. Quinn. All right. My next pick for today is Tom Lake by Anne Paget. This, weirdly enough, is also told in two parts, like my first book. Uh, it is set during the summer of the first year of the pandemic. Laura's three daughters are home on their family farm where they grow apples, but mostly cherries. And Laura gets her daughters to help her pick fruit uh, by telling them that she will tell them this story about how she once dated a famous movie star. He wasn't famous then, but back when Laura was a young girl, she discovered she had a talent for acting and she did some high school productions. And then she was hired right out of high school to work a summer theater in Michigan in a production of Our Town. Um, I've never seen or read Our Town, but I definitely need to do that because there's so much about that play in this book, which is widely considered to be one of the greatest stage plays of all time. So if you love Our Town, you definitely want to pick up this book. Um, but Laura gets to summer theater and basically immediately falls into bed with this charismatic actor um, who eventually goes on to become a superstar. Um, they have this whirlwind summer romance. It's about first love. Uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous. You know, like Laura's daughters are learning this side of their mother that they didn't know. Like it's hard for children sometimes to imagine their parents before they had kids. And Laura is feeling conflicted because there's a pandemic going on, but she has all of her daughters home with her again uh, for the first time in a very long time. And she's really enjoying that time. Um, it's it's near perfect. It's just amazing. It's called Tom Lake, and it's by Anne Patchett. I bought this book for my mom for Christmas, and it was like partly a selfish act because I was like, oh, when she's done reading it, I can read it. And I <laughs> um, this book is also set very close to where I live, um, so I'm really, really excited about that. Awesome. Um, yeah. Um, okay, my next pick is Enter the Body um, by Joy McCullough. And, you know, this is technically a YA book, but as I was reading it, I was like, I don't know why this is YA other than the fact that, like, Joy McCullough, like, publishes YA. Like, it could be for any age, honestly. Um, it's kind of a hard book to describe, um, but it's told in the form of mostly, like, um, stage play, um, stage format. And it is imagining this stage with a trapdoor beneath the stage and 
um, underneath the stage is where all of the dead women of Shakespeare's plays hang out. Um, and they don't really talk to each other. They're just kind of like all existing in their own bubble underneath the stage. But then you have um, Cordelia, Ophelia, and Juliet, the you know three most famous, I think, teenage girls of um, Shakespeare's um, plays. And they come together and this book just kind of imagines like what would happen if these three start speaking. Like first they start to tell their stories, um, but then they start to talk to each other. And what could happen when they do that? And this is definitely the type of book where if you have read the Shakespeare plays or seen the plays, like you're going to get so much more out of it um, than if you haven't read any Shakespeare. Um, but if you haven't, like, I think you can still very easily follow this book and get a lot out of it. Um, so like the first half of the book is really interesting because Juliet, Ophelia and Cordelia each tell their stories, like the stories of their plays as Shakespeare wrote them, but in their own words. Um, and it's all in verse too, the way they do it. Um, and man, she does such a great job of distinguishing between the three characters. It's very fascinating. And then about halfway through when they start talking to each other, um, they start to imagine like, well, what if we were more than just girls to be killed off in the Bard's plays? Um, and they start to imagine their own futures and their own stories. And I just thought it was such a powerful and really fascinating book about um, these famous, albeit fictional women reclaiming their stories. Um, and it's about trauma and it's about how, you know, you deal with trauma, how you can begin to recover from trauma. Um, it's just so, so good. Like I actually bought a copy and I sent it to um, one of my undergrad professors um, because she teaches Shakespeare and she loves Shakespeare and she read it and she was blown away by it as well. So it's one of my favorite books. It's Enter the Body by Joy McCullough. You know, uh, for some reason, a couple of weeks ago, I decided I wanted to watch Shakespeare in Love because I hadn't watched it in many years. And I used to watch it all the time when it first came out. And that's when I learned that it actually was turning 25 years old, just like a few days after I watched it. Oh, um, amazing. But I, first of all, I always forget that Ben Affleck is in that movie. No matter how many times I would watch that movie, I'd be like, oh, yeah. But when I was like, you know, 1999, I don't know however old I was I was like this movie is so romantic and oh my goodness they're trying to be together and I watched it this time and I was like well Shakespeare you're a dog go back to your wife like gross <laughs> right. you know right. I was like oh that must be the middle age talking I don't know but <laughs> it was a very different experience um but just so funny I can't believe it's it's already been 25 years uh, so my next pick for today is more historical fiction. I think like I either have historical fiction or sci-fi and maybe one contemporary novel, if I remember correctly. Um, this is an amazing historical novel called Loot by Tanya James. It was long listed for the National Book Award. It's set in the 1700s in India. There is a young man named Abbas and he gets a job as an apprentice to a French clockmaker. Like, Abbas has discovered that he's pretty good at making little things with his hands, like toys and stuff. And word gets back to the palace. And he is hired by Tipu Sultan to be uh, the clockmaker's assistant. And Tipu Sultan gives them a task and says, I want you to build me a mechanical life-size tiger that is also a pipe organ but also moves so that it appears that it is eating a white man. 
So, you know, no small order. Um, and Abbas has moved to the palace to make it. And now suddenly his life is so different than he ever expected. Uh, like when he was living at home with his family, you know, like they were working so hard and trying to make money. And now all of a sudden he's surrounded by wealth and abundance. And he learns about sex and love and meets all these people from all these different countries. But eventually war comes to India and there is destruction and death all around him. And the palace is plundered. Abbas eventually makes his way to France. He had been invited to go stay with the clockmaker who had already left at this time. Uh, and while he is there, he learns that the tiger that they made together is now sitting in an English country estate uh, because it had been taken from the country. Uh, and he makes plans to get it back. Like he feels like this is something that he needs to do. So it turns into kind of like a heist story at the end. Um, it's just, it's an amazing high story and coming of age story about classism and war and art. And I knew that like the history about the war part was real, but I didn't read the blurb before I started reading this because I just had heard it was amazing. Um, and so after I, I, I did a search and it turns out that Tipu's tiger is, is real. Like you can see images of it online. It's like as whatever you're imagining in your head right now, it's even more amazing to think that they built this in the 1700s. It's just incredible looking. Um, so you can see it online. And this whole book is amazing. It is Loot by Tanya James. Ooh, that one sounds really interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. My next pick is All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby. Um, I am a huge Cosby fan. Um, he's written, I believe this is his fourth like crime thriller novel. Um, and I really loved Blacktop Wasteland a few years ago. So I picked this one up and holy cow, it was incredible. Um, it is about Titus, who is the first black sheriff in his county in rural Virginia. And um, it's, you know, usually not necessarily a crime ridden county, but that doesn't mean that everything is, you know, just hunky dory, nice, happy um, no crime, nothing bad ever happens here type of place. Like Titus knows pretty well the um, darker secrets of this county. Um, he also knows that like there's a lot of racism there. A lot of people are not happy that he won the election for sheriff, um, including like among his own sheriff deputies. Um, but he's trying to make the place better, trying to kind of change it from the inside. Um, he also has um, history. He works. Um, he worked used to work for the FBI. Um, but then there was a case that um, did not go very well. And so he left the FBI and is now um, here as sheriff. But a lot of people think that because he's worked for the FBI, he must be either really high and mighty or really qualified to do what he does. Um, so the book opens with um, Titus getting a call that there is a shooting at the local high school, which, um, as you can imagine, is like probably the worst nightmare for a lot of people who work in schools or who are parents of kids who go to schools. Um, so he arrives on the scene and it is this kid of somebody he went to high school with who has a gun. He, sh he shot a teacher. Um, and unfortunately they aren't able, um, to bring him in, um, without somebody shooting him and, and, um, causing his death, which is very tragic and makes Titus very angry because he thinks that they should have been able to bring him in without, um, any more gun violence. But as he starts to, um, investigate why the shooting happened, he realizes that there is a serial killer 
at play in his county. And the serial killer has gone unchecked for years and nobody's ever caught him. Nobody's ever even realized that he's been operating in the county. And so he becomes consumed with this mission to um, catch this serial killer. Um, so this is definitely on the darker side of um, crime. Although I have to give Cosby a lot of props for not like for writing about dark things in a way that I don't think is gratuitous or, or, exceedingly graphic um but it's really i thought a really good job of like exploring both the good and the bad of a small town and a rural place and um the many people that you encounter in these rural areas and um also just titus's own um, sort of emotional journey as he's trying to figure out um who the killer is and um is also questioning you know why is he doing this job so it was just really, really excellent. Um, it is All Listeners Bleed by S.A. Cosby. He was a, a question on Jeopardy the other day. I got so excited. I get Amazing. so excited when uh, they have questions like for people I follow on Instagram, you know, authors and stuff, as if I like know them myself. I'm like, ah, 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 <laughs> you know, it was pretty fun. Um, my next pick is Lucky Red by Claudia Cravens. This is historical fiction. And it's in one of my favorite genres, or one of my favorite time periods, I should say. Well, I love Westerns, but I also love post-Civil War Westerns. Like, together, they are my favorite. This is set in 1877. Bridget is a young woman who lives with her father in the countryside. Uh, at the beginning of the book, she finds out that he has gambled away their home. So they have no place to live. They need to move. He tells her they're going to go to Dodge City. They're going to try their luck in the city. Uh, the trip is hard. It's cold. It's bad. He doesn't make the journey. Bridget arrives alone, quickly penniless after selling everything that they had. It is then that she is offered a position at a brothel called the Buffalo Queen. There are a few brothels in Dodge City, but this one is known for being the cleanest. The women who work there are paid well, and it is also under the protection of the sheriff, so there is very little violence that happens there. Um, and Bridget accepts the job and quickly discovers that she doesn't really mind the work. She also becomes the sheriff's favorite and it becomes an old cliche where he wants to marry her and take her away from all that. But she's like a few hours work a day, three meals, the company of my friends and great pay. Like, why would I leave this? Like, no, thank you. And then she falls for a female gunfighter who is passing through town. This entanglement puts Bridget's future, her stability, and the safety of the Buffalo Queen in jeopardy. It's a fantastic novel about a young woman choosing her own path and her own desires in a time when these things were unheard of. It is an excellent debut. It's Lucky Red by Claudia Cravens. Oh, that sounds so good. And I remember, I think I was on the episode when you originally talked about this book, um, back when it first came out. And um, I recently also requested this via interlibrary loan. So yay, yay uh, for that. Okay, my next pick is one I actually just finished reading and I loved it so much that I was like, oh, yep, I've got to shuffle some things around because I have to talk about this book um, for best of the year. Um, it is Into the Bright Open by Cherie Dimeline. And oh, it's so good. It is a secret garden retelling um, but it's also queer and it's set at the turn of the century, um, Toronto in the Georgian Bay area. Um, and 
It is about Mary. She, like in the original Secret Garden, is not necessarily a very bright and bubbly person. Um, and I thought that the author did such a good job of portraying her as, you know, this girl who grew up very privileged, but also very lonely. Her parents clearly didn't really want her and they don't really care to take care of her um, beyond just you know, making sure that a nanny is employed and that all of her basic needs are met. And so Mary grows up very isolated, very lonely. She does not feel loved. And then when her parents die in a tragic accident, um, it's not that she isn't sad that her parents are dead, but it's it's hard to know how to feel when like you don't have a relationship with your parents. Um, but her whole world changes when she is um, sent away from Toronto to go live um in a manner that her uncle owns in the Georgian Bay. And her her uncle is hardly ever home. Um, he seems to have his own demons. And so she's dropped off basically what she feels like is the middle of nowhere. And everybody says is the wilderness. Um, and she um, discovers that her uncle's household um, is run by um, a group of indigenous um, people who um, live locally and um, they welcome her and they are pretty easygoing. Um, she doesn't always treat them very well. Um, so just be aware that there is some some racism in this book, um, but it does not go unchallenged. Um, so Mary has always been told basically that um, indigenous people are, you know, just think of every bad stereotype and, and slight that people have thrown at them throughout history. And so she is really surprised when she discovers that the staff at her uncle's manor are are so nice. Um, but she also is not used to um, basically living out in the wilderness. And they really expose her and open her eyes to like the beauty of the natural world. And it's there that she discovers, first of all, a secret garden um, that is locked up. Um, but second of all, a cousin that she never knew she had, who is also locked up in an attic. And um, it's because of the kindness that she's shown um, by her uncle's staff, but also the um, relationship that she develops with her cousin, Olive, um, whose mother was indigenous, that she um, begins to challenge her own biases and, and really think about um, what it means to care for somebody and what it means to belong and um, uses her, her stubbornness and, and sometimes her not so pleasant personality to really fight for the people that she loves. Um, it's also queer so that she does have this like very nicely, gently romantic um, subplot relationship with another girl. I loved it so much. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's basically the secret garden. So you can probably guess where the story is giving, but um, I don't want to say too much more because it was so lovely. Um, the writing was beautiful. The setting and um, was just so evocative. Um, this is probably one of the best classic retellings I've read in a really long time. It is Into the Bright Open by Cherie Dimaline. Okay, before I tell you about my next pick, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. So this book I'm about to tell you about might be the next book talk, Darling. It's a high octane fantasy adventure filled with risk, romance, action, and sweet vengeance. In it, there are five liars who have five agendas, but only one target. So in Five Broken Blades from author Mae Corlin, the five most dangerous liars in the land have been mysteriously summoned to work together for a single objective, which is to kill the cruel God King June. 
each has tasted bitterness from the hired hitman seeking atonement to the lovely assassin dreaming of freedom to even the prince exiled for his own crimes. This is a high stakes game of treachery where the vengeance is sweet, the secrets are delicious, and each page deepens a journey that will keep you guessing until the very end. This also has themes of friendship, found family. You got a little bit of everything in this. Make sure to check out Five Broken Blades. And thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by A Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal. So Arthur Casimir is a criminal mastermind and collector of secrets. Her prestigious tea room transforms into an illegal bloodhouse by night because obviously it does. It caters to the vampires feared by society. But when her establishment is threatened, she has to make a deal with an alluring adversary. So Arthi hatches a plan to infiltrate the sinister, glittering vampire society known as the Ethereum. But not everyone in her ragtag crew is on her side. And as the truth behind the heist unfolds, Arthi finds herself in the midst of a conspiracy that will threaten the world as she knows it. So this is the highly anticipated next project from the author of We Hunt the Flame. It's got a fierce female lead. The story is fun and fast paced while also exploring significant themes like colonialism, prejudice, betrayal, and self-acceptance. I mean, it's got vampires and heists. Make sure to check it out, get into it, and thanks again to A Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal for sponsoring this episode. All right, my next pick is one that I could not wait to read and I was so happy when I got it. It is Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. This is the contemporary novel that I have on this list. I loved Angie Kim's last book, Miracle Creek, which is a family drama slash courtroom drama. This one, Happiness Falls, is a family drama slash mystery. It is about a biracial Korean-American family in Virginia. It is also set at the beginning of the pandemic, just like Tom Lake. It's about Mia, who is living with her twin brother uh, at their parents' home. They are both home from college. Her parents live there with their younger brother, Eugene. Eugene has a rare genetic condition called Angelman syndrome and cannot speak. Uh, And their dad takes Eugene with him every day. They go out for a walk. And one day, her father doesn't return from this walk. But because of some mishaps, they don't realize that their dad is missing for several hours. They think, like, Eugene is home and he's in the house somewhere, their dad. And so when they find out, you know, that their dad is nowhere to be found, um, they can't ask Eugene what happened because he doesn't speak. Uh, They have to call the police. The police immediately suspect that Eugene has done something to him. Uh, They are not sympathetic to his condition or his needs. And Mia and her family go combing through every memory that they have uh, of the last few days of their father and every piece of their father's life to try and figure out what could have happened to say so that they can save Eugene and secrets will be revealed it's so good. This is the first book I read that was really entrenched in the pandemic, which I thought that I'd be like, oh, I don't want to read about that. But it does it in such a really interesting way that things you don't even consider, like they're going to arrest Eugene. They, they've decided that he's in, in, char- uh, in charge. No, he's the culprit. And they can't take him to the jail that they were taking him to because they get a call like there is a COVID outbreak there. So they have to take him somewhere else. 
And then there's like an officer at one of the scenes test positive for COVID. And so then he has to tell his coworkers and everyone else who was at that crime scene must test and quarantine like in the middle of an investigation. And these are like things that you don't think about you know, that were happening. Um, it's wholly original and fascinating. It is Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. Amazing. I also need to read that book. Okay. My next pick is A Long Stretch of Bad Days by Mindy McGinnis. Um, I love pretty much everything that Mindy McGinnis writes. Um, She's known for writing really dark and twisty YA. Um, So this newest book is about um, Lydia and she um, is very much an overachiever, has her eyes set on leaving her small Ohio town. She wants to go to like a big fancy school. Um, She's aware of the fact that her town has definitely fallen on hard times and a lot of people struggle in her town, but she's also, um, you know, one of the lucky ones, like she comes from a good, you know, quote unquote, good family in her town. Um, she lives in a nice house that her dad inherited. Her dad's a lawyer. Um, so she is, she's not unaware of her privilege in that sense. Um, when she discovers that um, due to a clerical error in her high school guidance office, she's one credit short from graduating. She's pretty ticked. Um, she sort of um, convinces slash um, berates her guidance office into letting her do an independent study to um, get her credits that she needs to graduate because she has to graduate. And then she's also paired with Bristol Jameson, who has um, basically the opposite reputation of Lydia. She kind of comes from a rougher part of town. Her family um, has never had anybody to graduate from high school. And Bristol really wants to be the first to graduate from high school. So the two of them team up and they're going to be producing a podcast that dives into local history. And, um, you know, it's pretty obvious that like the school officials think that they're going to kind of keep it like, you know, mild with um, nice innocuous bits of local history. But Lydia has her eyes set on, you know, Ivy Leagues. And she's like, no, 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 we got to do something hard hitting. And so she wants to do a series on the town's long stretch of bad days, which is what they called um, this three day stretch in the 90s when um, some really awful things happened. Um, so content warning here for discussion of animal death. Um, but basically a tornado ran through town and destroyed like half the town. Um, somebody was murdered, which there's not a lot of murders in her town. So that was pretty notable. And then um, a flash flood um, flooded out the animal shelter and tragically all of the dogs in the animal shelter drowned. Um, so she wants to just dive into this, but while, and Bristol's kind of coming along like begrudgingly, but like, okay, let's see what we can uncover. Um, as they are investigating, they discover through town records that a teenage girl went missing during a long stretch of bad days, but there's like no, um, you know, reporting on this. There's not even a police file. She just disappeared. And it seems like nobody noticed or cared. Although if they ask around, people definitely, you know, remembered her. So they become like determined to figure out what happened to this missing teenage girl. And in doing so, they really poke and prod at a lot of town secrets. And a lot of it just kind of comes tumbling down. Um, so I appreciate and like Mindy McGinnis's writing because she usually writes about rural Midwestern towns that definitely aren't 
you know, like the stars hollow of small towns, like they are a little rough. Um, she doesn't romanticize them, but she also is pretty respectful in the fact that like there are people who choose to live in these towns and um, that is valid as well. Um, so you kind of get like the opposite sides of the coin here with Lydia who wants to escape the small town, Bristol who's like, oh, this is my home. Why would I want to leave? And um, these two very unlikely people have to work together to solve this mystery. And I just really liked it. I thought it was really well done. So that is a long stretch of Bad Days by Mindy McGinnis. My next pick is something very different. It is The Vaster Wilds by Lauren Groff. First of all, in case you didn't hear, they announced yesterday, Lauren Groff is opening an indie bookstore in Florida. That is very exciting. Um, I love Lauren Groff's novels. This one is my favorite so far. It is an incredible study uh, in setting and the details are amazing and there's almost no dialogue at all. It is about a young woman. We don't know her name. She has been brought as a maid from England to a Puritan colony in the United States and it's it's not going well. They're having a bad winter. There's an outbreak of disease. Everyone is dying. There's nothing to eat. And so she decides, I would rather take my chances on my own than stay here and watch any more of this. And so she flees. She runs off into the woods. And she's worried that she is being hunted by someone at the colony. Like they're going to catch her and bring her back. So she only travels at night. And Groff goes on to detail the different shelters that she makes, uh, the things that she finds to eat. Um, while also sharing memories of her life before she fled. The entire book is this young woman traveling through the forest, and it is riveting. It is a remarkable work. It's very bleak, but it's very beautiful, Um, and it exists to remind you, in case you've forgotten, don't F with nature. It's just amazing. It's The Vaster Wilds by Lauren Groff. Oh, Lauren Groff's stuff is always so good. I haven't yes. read that one yet, but oh, I still like am haunted by some of the short stories in Florida. <laughs> okay, my next pick is Scorched Grace by Margot Duwahi. And um, this book, oh my gosh, it is... Basically, I think all I need to say is it is about a chain-smoking, queer, tattooed nun solving crimes. Like, that's the pitch. Um, but I will say a little bit more. So it is about Holiday, Sister Holiday. She is about one year into her journey of being a nun. She's in her early 30s. She's had like a rough sort of 20s and early 30s, um, something horrible happened to her. So she decided that she, you know, wants to devote herself to God. Um, and what I like about this book is that like, she really, you know, she has faith, but this is not like one of those like books where I feel like it's constantly preaching to you about the Christian religion. Like her faith is her own. She's, you know, pretty set in it, but um, she also recognizes that um, there's a lot of things in this world that humanity can and won't always understand. Um, So she is working um, 
And she lives in a convent in New Orleans and she's working as a teacher at St. Sebastian School, which is connected um, to the convent and um, church that she lives at. And at the beginning of the book, she is trying to get out of a faculty meeting because she finds them really boring. And so she is smoking cigarettes that she's confiscated off of students in this alley behind the church when um, the East Wing of the school um, is set on fire. And she um, goes in there and she's able to rescue two students who were in there after hours when they weren't supposed to be. And she pulls them out. And, but tragically, one of the um, caretakers of the school dies in the fire. And this just is the first in a string of arsons that seem to be targeting Catholic churches in the New Orleans area. And Sister Holiday is very suspicious. Um, and she becomes convinced that one of the reasons why she was um, placed at the school and became a nun is because it is up to her to tell figure out what is going on because the police and the fire investigators don't really seem to be doing a great job at um, sussing out who is the arson. Um, so I really, really liked this book. It's such an interesting character study um, and such an interesting, you know, combination, obviously, of somebody who's like basically this punk rock nun um, and how she sort of balances her past and how she wants to figure out who's doing this. Um, but she also feels like this deep commitment to the church and to doing good. Um, I was totally enthralled by, by the character of Sister Holiday. And luckily there's going to be more Sister Holiday um, mysteries. Um, there's another one called Blessed Waters coming out in March that I'm really excited about. Um, but this was so good. So that is Scorched Grace by Margot Duahi. Okay. I was ready to jump in and mention the sequel if you, yes. if you didn't. Um, we've been talking about books for a really long time. So <laughs> we're going to roll through these next few because it, it's been going on. Um, my next pick is The Deep Sky by Yume Kitase. I talk about this book all the time. I will never stop talking about it. Uh, it's an amazing debut. It's a space mystery set in the future where the world is falling apart. Surprise, surprise. And a group of young people have been chosen to travel to a seemingly inhabitable planet far away to make sure it's okay for humans. And if it is, they won't be coming back, but you know, more humans will join them. Uh, so now the 80 person crew has been asleep for years in cryostasis. And shortly after they wake up, a bomb detonates on the outside of the ship, killing three crew members and sending the ship off course. Asuka is a young woman from Japan. She is near the explosion when it happens. So she is the number one suspect. So she wants to figure out what happened. Was it planted before they left Earth? Is there a saboteur on board? And if so, will there be more attacks? In between the investigation, we learn how Asuka lived on Earth and how she was chosen to join the mission. It is excellent sci-fi. It has cool future technology with a fast-paced story. Her next book, The Stardust Grail, comes out on June 11th. It's not related, but it's also amazing. This one is The Deep Sky by Yume Kitase. Awesome. Okay, really quickly, another one of my favorite books this year was Zero Days by Ruth Ware. I've read pretty much, no, I've read everything that Ruth Ware has written. Um, and I like some books more than others, but this one was like a standout winner for me. It is more of a thriller than a mystery. Um, and it is about Jack, a woman named Jack, who um, she and her husband are penetration specialists, which means that companies hire them to try to break into their, their businesses and their headquarters to see how vulnerable they are to um, attack. 
and um, Jack is out on a job one night. She's working with her husband. She's like the person that like actually physically breaks into the places and her husband's usually um, at home on his computer doing like the malware attacks and all of that. And they are talking back and forth over comms. They have a really good job. She's like, okay, I'm headed home, you know, be there in like, you know, half hour. And he's like, okay, yeah, see you there. I'm going to order a pizza. She gets home and her husband is dead. He's been murdered. And so everybody, she knows that it looks bad and everybody suspects that she's the one who killed her husband. So she has to go on the run to prove that she did not actually kill her husband and find out who actually did so it's essentially like the fugitive but um it's set you know modern day and um it is about jack and there's a lot of techie stuff in it um it was really a fun read so that is zero days by ruth ware awesome i'm gonna add that one to my list and surprising no one my last pick today is my favorite book of 2023 it is chain gang all-stars by nana kwame ajibrenya this was a finalist for the nba set in the near future where the united states has decided to make even more money off incarcerated people they give them an opportunity to participate in chain gang all-stars a reality show where prisoners fight to the death the last contestant standing wins their freedom along with the stories of the contestants and people protesting this show. The book also includes footnotes that cover actual facts and stories of the American prison system, how people are stripped of their freedom, their rights, and their humanity to line the pockets of the people in charge and continue the country's legacy of racism. I think everyone should have to read this book. It's amazing. There's nothing like it, although it doesn't seem that far away from happening because we already have several reality shows set in prisons like 60 Days In, Behind Bars, Lock Up, Jailbirds, New Orleans, so this is really just telling us more of what's going to happen in the future. It's amazing. It's Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya. Oof. Yes. Um, I need to pick up this book because you've been talking about it so much. Um, yeah. Like a year and a half now. <laughs> yeah. I know. I saw it. I actually was like looking at my library catalog the other day and they have it, but it was checked out and I was like, oh, got to place a hold. So um, my last pick is Warrior Girl on Earth by Angeline Foley. Um, she wrote Firekeeper's Daughter, which you probably heard of because it like won big awards and was really popular a couple years ago when it came out. Um, this is a companion to Firekeeper's Daughter. Like I recommend reading Firekeeper's Daughter first, but you don't necessarily have to. Um, so it takes place 10 years after the end of Firekeeper's Daughter. And it is about Perry, who is like looking forward to like a summer of slacking off and just having fun. Um, but when she's in the fender bender, she has to get a job. And so she is um, enrolled in this internship program um, through her tribal council, where it takes um, tribal youth and it gives them placements and various um, organizations throughout tribal government and organizations. So um, she's not super thrilled about this. And she's especially not thrilled when she is placed with the tribal museum and the museum's curator um, first just has her, you know, cleaning displays and whatnot. But then he starts to tell her about all of the artifacts, including actual remains of ancestors that are owned by universities, private collections, etc., and um, how that is not cool for it. Cause first of all, they should, with the tribe um and then she starts to learn more about like federal laws that would allow the tribes to repatriate these items and their remains and how um 
the people who have possession of them try to flout public or federal law in order to keep them. And she becomes understandably angry. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this book. There's just, there's a lot of subplots, but essentially as the, the book progresses, um, Perry becomes more and more convinced that if, um, basically the law won't be on their side then maybe she needs to work outside the law to bring these objects home and bring the ancestors home and so she starts planning a heist um and you know spoiler alert the heist does not go as expected um but this was such a good book i thought it was so powerful and so well written and i really loved perry's journey from being like this sort of slacker who just like wants to put in her time and then go home and go fishing and ignore her work um, to becoming like really impassioned about this um, subject and really involved in wanting to um, repatriate all of these items and her ancestors and bring them back home and do it in a respectful um, manner. So it's just an incredible book. It is Warrior Girl Unearthed by Angeline Foley. All right, we did it. Those Woo! are some of our favorite novels of the year. Do you have any other favorites? from this year? I do. I have some backlist books that I read this year that I loved. Um, the Alice Vega series, it's three books, um, Two Girls Down, The Janes, and The Hideout. Um, they're written by Louisa Luna. I read those um, like in a all in a row. I was doing a lot of painting this summer, and so I listened to the audiobooks while I painted. They are so good. Um, they're about PIs solving various crimes, and the mysteries are really, really twisty, and the characters are awesome. So I would highly recommend those books. I'm like, fingers crossed that we get another Alice Vega book sometime in the near future. We're getting um, a new Louisa Luna book next year, but it is not, it looks like it's a standalone. But I mean, okay. I also love this series, so I'm very excited to read this one as well. Yeah, I, okay, I will accept that because I love Louisa Luna's writing. Um, and like the third book, it kind of leaves the characters in a good spot. So I was like, I don't know if she'll write them. Like, I would love more Alice Vega, but I will just take a new Louisa Luna book as well. <laughs> um, so thank you. I did not know that there's going to be a new Louisa Luna. Um, another book that I read and loved um it's a YA rom-com, The Do-Over by Lynn Painter is like my favorite YA rom-com that I've read this year. I've recommended it so many times. It is a time loop romance. It is about a girl caught in a time loop on like the worst Valentine's Day ever where her boyfriend cheats on her and everything just goes all sideways. And the boy that she keeps running into literally with her car, um, no matter what she does to try to change up the day. So it's really fun, really funny. And then I also really loved Never Name the Dead by D.M. Rowell, which is about a Kiowa woman who left home, didn't look back. Now, 10 years later, her beloved grandfather calls her and is like, there's something weird wrong going down with the tribe. You need to come home. I need your help. And he doesn't really elaborate. And so she's like, OK, I'll, I'll come home. And she touches down. Her plane touches down in Oklahoma. And she expects her grandfather to be waiting for her at the airport. But instead, there's like various tribal members who are all angry and they tell her that her grandfather has disappeared along with a priceless tribe artifact. And so she has to figure out what the heck is going on. What was really cool about Never Name the Dead is all set in a single day, which I thought was pretty impressive. Um, and also the protagonist is queer. So I like queer um protagonists in mysteries but that was really good so those were just like a couple of my other favorite reads of this year that were not necessarily 2023 releases awesome and 
To finish up, what are you going to read next? Um, I just checked out Those Pink Mountain Nights by Jen Ferguson from the library. So um, it is a YA about three teens working at a pizza place in small town Canada and stuff happens. I'm not quite sure exactly what happens yet, (laughs) but um, it it sounds really good. And I actually met the author this past summer. So I have been meaning to pick this up forever and it was at my library yesterday. So I grabbed it. Awesome. And I am reading Dixon Descending by Karen Outen, which if you listen to Backlist, you know that I talked about that before, but it's about um, two brothers who tried to become the first black Americans to climb Mount Everest. Um, And someone told me it was going to be the best book of next year. So, so far, so good. That comes out in February, February 13th to be exact. And that is all for today. You can visit mytbr.co to find out more and sign up. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Caitlin Brame. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Tell us about your area code. Maybe we'll say hello. Uh, uh, I lost all my words. <laughs> Tirza, where can people find you online? I hang out at Instagram and I've been on threads a lot more lately. I'm at Tirza Price. All right. And I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive, where I post photos of my very bad cats. Uh, And if you want to go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcast and leave a rating or review, it helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.